Thanks for tuning in to Mountain View Fellowship's weekly podcast with lead pastor Don Headley. At MVF, our mandate is pointing people to Jesus by fostering relationships. We know Jesus cared for people and placed a lot of emphasis on relationships. So we do too. We believe that we're created for relationship with God and that He gave each one of us a desire to belong. If you'd like more information about MVF, connect with us at mvfcolorado.com. Now, stay tuned for this week's message. Merry Christmas. Hey, we get to say that. I love that. Uh, We are glad that you're here today because we're in our Advent message series entitled Home for Christmas. And the idea behind this entire series as it leads us up to Christmas was to discover where our true home is. And what we're finding out is that eternity has actually set that longing, that desire in our hearts uh, many, many years ago. Uh, If you were here a couple of weeks ago as we kicked this series off, you know that we found out that this earth is not our home. That actually there's something better coming. That Jesus has prepared heaven for us. Heaven is actually our home. And what that means is that we should live our lives differently. Uh, We should live life with eternity in mind. And what we challenged you with in that first week is to make sure that you're living with eternity in mind. You're... you change the way that you live, you, you focus your, uh, your attention, your resources, everything goes in a different direction. So it should make the biggest change in your life ever because now what you're doing is you're putting Christ at the center of everything and you're living with eternity in mind. It should change the way that we talk to each other. It should change every little detail of our lives. Last week, we talked about this idea that there's a longing that God has placed within our hearts to be home with him. And and it was set a long time ago. C.S. Lewis likened it to a God-shaped hole in our life, and we fill it with everything else, and we can never be satisfied. And it's not until God uh, is in his rightful place in our life that we find satisfaction in life. And today, uh, I want to share with you, since we're talking about this idea of home for Christmas, I want to share with you what I believe are the keys to the house, all right? Uh, Because it would stink... If, uh, let's say, you uh, got your car packed up, you put all your luggage in there, put the gifts in there, drove all the way across the country, went to your family home, got there, the party was inside, everything was happening, your family's there, and they're exchanging gifts, and you couldn't get in the house. That would kind of stink, wouldn't it? You just had to stand in the front yard and watch it, right? And so we don't want anyone to miss out on what God is doing, uh, coming home and being a part of that eternal party. I don't want you to miss out on it. So I want to share with you what the keys to the house are today. So grab your Bibles, head over to Luke chapter 1. We're going to be in verses 26 through 38. This will be our first stop of the morning. So uh, grab your Bibles or your device, head to Luke chapter 1 this morning. As a now a grandfather, I was a parent, now I'm a grandfather, I can tell you that when it comes to this uh, time of the year, you get into the Christmas season, there's a desire for every parent to have their kids at home. We just want, we just want to be around our kids. We want to be, our grandki- be around our grandkids. There's just something about that, that, about the Christmas season, where you just want to be around your family. You want your whole family around you. I heard a story of a couple that had been married like 50 years. They had a son by the name of Tom, a daughter by the name of Sally, and they'd grown up. They were adult kids. They had uh, gotten married, had kids of their own. They'd moved out of state, and they were away. And came this one Christmas, they were asking their kids, are you going to come home for Christmas? And both uh, Tom and Sally, he said, we're not going to be able to make it this year. 
So they knew their kids weren't going to be able to come home. And, and finally, they got a couple of days out from Christmas. And uh, the dad was in the kitchen having a conversation with mom. And she was just kind of expressing how bummed out she was. The kids weren't going to be able to make it. And, you know, just it's not going to be Christmas like it usually is. And, and uh, how her heart kind of hurt for that. You know, she just wanted her kids at home. And so the dad decided he was going to take matters in his own hands. So he goes into the bedroom and he makes a phone call to his son. And he says, Tom, I just want to let you know, your mom and I have decided after 50 years of marriage, we're going to call it quits. We're just going to get a divorce. I want you to call your sister and let her know. And he just hung up and he just waited. And sure enough, not too long after that, he gets a phone call from Sally. And Sally's like, Dad, I just got off the phone with Tom. He says that you and Mom are getting a divorce. This can't happen. Like, you guys can't do anything. Promise me something. And he goes, what? He said, she said, don't do a thing. Um, I've just talked to Tom. We're all getting on planes. We're going to be there tomorrow. Don't do anything till we get there. And he said, okay, I promise. And he got off the phone with her. And he goes into the kitchen where his wife was still preparing for uh, Christmas. And he said, hey, honey, good news. The kids are coming home. And get this, they're paying their own way. <laughs> right? So uh, there's a lot of different ways of getting your kids to come home. That's probably not the best one. I wouldn't advise that one. Uh, the reason I say that is because of this. I don't know how many of you know this, but I want you to know this today. That you have a heavenly father who wants you to come home. You have a heavenly father that wants you to come home. His desire of his heart is that you would come home. And so much so that he sent his son. That's, that's what Christmas is all about. God sending his son to this earth so that you could go home. The story is actually told in Luke chapter 1, going to verse 26. It says, in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a village in Galilee, to a virgin named Mary. She was engaged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of King David. Gabriel appeared to her and said, Greetings, favored woman. The Lord is with you. Confused and disturbed, Mary tried to think of what the angel could mean. Don't be afraid, Mary, the angel told her, for you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him what? Jesus. You will name him Jesus. He will be very great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestor David, and he will reign over Israel forever. His kingdom will never end. Mary asked the angel, how can this happen? I'm a virgin. The angel replied, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the baby to be born will be holy, and he will be called the Son of God. What's more, your relative Elizabeth has become pregnant in her old age. People used to say she was barren, but she's conceived a son and is now in her sixth month for, I love this line, for the word of God will never fail. Mary responded, I am the Lord's servant. May everything you have said about me come true. And then the angel left her. I love this story. If you really uh, try to put yourself in their sandals and, and think through this story, what it would be like, right, to have an angel visit you and give you news like this, especially as a young lady in, in Nazareth. I mean, she's at a place where she probably thinks no one even notices her. And the angel starts off by saying, favored, you're favored. God has found favor with you. You're going to give birth to the Son of God, the one that's been prophesied about for this entire time. For hundreds of years, you've been hearing about this, and you're going to be the one that's going to deliver this baby into the world. And you're going to, you're going to call him, what was the name? Jesus. Jesus. Jesus means, uh, if, if you uh, take the meaning of that name, it just means Yahweh saves. 
or if you want to say it plainly, the Lord is salvation. That's what that means. I love the prophecy the angel gives her too about this baby in verse 32. It says, and he will be very great and will be called the son of the most high. He'll be the son of God. The Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestor David and he will reign over Israel forever. His kingdom will never end. And she's going to give birth to this baby. Just incredible. This idea of Christmas is about God sending his son who steps out of heaven, who puts on flesh, is born of a virgin. It's an amazing story. And so often we go on through our Christmas season and we never stop to think about really what we're celebrating. And I want us to really let it sink in today that God came for us because he wants us to come home. C.S. Lewis said it this way. He said, the son of God became a man to enable men to become sons of God. Isn't that great? He came here as the Son of God so that you and I could come home. But, but why Mary? Why a virgin? Um, if you think about it, the, one of the signs from the prophecy that this would be the Messiah, that it would be the Son of God, was actually that it was going to be a virgin birth. It was foretold in Isaiah chapter 7. It says, all right then, the Lord himself will give you the sign. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son and we'll call him Emmanuel, which means, say it with me, God is with us. God is with us. And what I love about this, and I was thinking about this this last week as I was preparing for, for today, and I never really thought of it like this before, but this is Mary. She's a good Jewish girl raised in a Jewish family in a Jewish town, which means that she would have been going to synagogue. She would have heard the prophecies. She probably would have heard the Isaiah scroll read many, many times. She would have known this. They would have been sitting around the table talking about the coming Messiah, how God was going to rescue his people, and, and the signs of that Messiah. She would have heard it in all of their gatherings, their community gatherings. Um, and and I, I just wonder, how many times did Mary herself hear about this virgin that was going to give birth to the Messiah? And now she is that person. I, I wonder, did she ever think, maybe that's me? I don't know. I don't know, because I think maybe Mary falls into the same category as all of us, where we don't think that God even notices us. We don't think that God cares that much about our lives, that, that God can't really use us. He, he doesn't really have a plan for me. And I want you to know today, just like Mary, God knows you. God knows you. He has a plan for you. He, he has every day planned out before it ever happened. Like he knew you even before you were born. In and and, uh, Psalm 139, it says that he knit you together in your mother's womb. God knows you personally. He loves you and he desires a relationship with you. He wants you to come home. I just wonder how many times sitting in the synagogue that Mary would have heard this, this scroll being read. Now today from this scripture and also from what we sang um, we've heard some truths about Jesus. We've been talking about some truths about Jesus. This morning, you sang some songs. I don't know if you were paying attention or not, but you declared some truths about Jesus this morning. You said, I will believe. Your love is stronger than my shame. It's greater than my pain. Your love will never fail. You said that. If you were singing along this morning, you said that. And I wonder, did you just sing it? Or were you declaring that? You also sing, hope of all the earth thou art. You also declare that Jesus is the only king who reigns forever. 
Those are words that you said if you were singing along this morning. Were you thinking about what you were declaring this morning? Or were you just kind of in that mode? Were you worshiping? Were you, were you saying, yes, I agree with what I'm saying, what I see on the screen? After this message, we're going to worship a little bit more. And you're actually going to declare in one of those songs, you're going to say, you alone will reign forevermore. You're going to say, you alone are the name above all names. And I wonder, by the time we get to that moment, are you going to be in cruise control? Are you just going to be in the Christmas season? Or are you going to be declaring it because you know what Christmas really is all about? Um, it's kind of like going to a young kid's birthday party today. We went to one yesterday, and, and it's kind of fun going to little kid's birthday parties because uh, if you didn't know who the birthday girl or boy was, it would be hard to figure them out, right? Because what they do today is they get together, they have the cake, they break open the, the gifts, and then if you showed up after that, you would just look and all the kids would be playing with all the toys, right? They would be all in the bounce house. They would be running around the backyard. All this stuff would be going on. And sometimes you even have to ask, like, who's the birthday kid? Oh, it's the one sitting in the corner reading the book, you know, or whatever, right? And, and sometimes you can't even tell who the birthday kid is because all the other kids are just playing around there. They're in the middle of all of it. And, and can I just say, we can do Christmas that way as well. Like we can get so tied up in everything that's going on and the tree and the presents and, and the, you know, the parties and things that are, that are happening around us that we sometimes will forget whose birthday it is. And we'll just move past it without ever stopping and going, yes, this is the birth of Jesus. This is what we are celebrating during this season. Now, today, I don't, I don't want us just to um, hear some truths about Jesus. Uh, what I want us to do is I want us to look at a few things that were said by Jesus. Uh, let's find out what Jesus actually said about himself. And, and not about that, not just about that, but about us as well. Um, when you take a look at the life of Christ in the Gospels, it's incredible. They follow his life um, all the way to his death and his resurrection, and there's portions that are left out of his life that we don't have. And so just as a trivia question, let me ask you this. Do you know what the first words of Jesus that are recorded in the scripture, do you know what those are? Because we, we just read some of his birth narrative, right? Do you know that there's nothing said after that for like 12 years? Like there's not a single word recorded from this baby until he's about 12 years old. And in that moment, what we find is that he is being um, a Jew and in a Jewish family. They've made the trip all the way to Jerusalem. They've gone there for the Passover. They've been there for a multi-day celebration, having a great time, remembering God's faithfulness, celebrating that. They turned around, they start heading home, and Mary and Joseph, on the way home, some point, they realize that Jesus is not with them. Like they've lost Jesus. And so if you ever feel like a failed parent, all right, just remember this story because um, they lost the Savior of the world, and they have to go back to Jerusalem. And so they go back to Jerusalem, and they start searching for him. They can't find him, and they finally find him in a temple. He's in the temple, and he's debating, he's talking, and having a conversation with all the religious leaders. And it says that they are amazed at his wisdom and knowledge and insight. Like, they just can't believe that this 12-year-old has got this kind of a foundation. Why? Because he's, he's God. He's the son of man. And the first thing that's recorded by Jesus is right after Mary finds him, and she goes up and she does probably what any of us would do. What were you thinking, right? You scared us to death. Well, this is the first words recorded by Jesus are here in Luke chapter 2, verse 49. Jesus says, but why did you need to search, he asked. Didn't you know that I must be in my father's house? So you knew who I was before I was ever born. The angel told you. You know what I was here to do. 
Like, why, why did you have to think about where I would be? You would know that I would be in the Father's house. And some of your translations say, about my Father's business. Jesus knew what he came for. He was the Son of God, stepped out of heaven, put on flesh, born of a virgin, to come and give his life as the Savior of the world. Jesus, Yahweh, saves, right? He knew why he was here. He knew what he, he'd come to do. He was about his father's business. So if you think of it this way, Jesus was on a business trip. He was about his business. That's what he was doing. And this isn't like it just happened, like, like they just thought of it. And this is a broken plan, and they're having to patch the plan back together. So let's send Jesus. That's not what it was. Actually, the triune God... The Father, the Son, and the Heavenly Spirit in eternity past, they had, dis- had decided that since mankind was eventually going to turn its back on God, that they decided that instead of leaving us to our consequences and, and letting us die in our own sin, that they would send Jesus and Jesus would come and he would die for the sins of the world so that we might have a way to come home. That was always the plan. He's on a business trip. And he says, you should have known where I would be because I'm all about being in my father's presence and doing my father's will. I'm about the father's business. Now, what's interesting is right after this, things go silent. We don't hear from him again, at least in scripture, until he starts his ministry. So he's about 30 years old. So what's that, like 18 years of silence? Like it just disappears. And I love the way the Gospels tell the story too. Uh, If you don't know what the Gospels are, it's the first four books of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Those are the books that that really in narrative form tell the life of Christ. And they tell it from different angles. And they're all a little bit different. They're very distinctive. But it's interesting to me that Matthew and Luke start with the birth narrative. This is, uh, we just read some of it, right? It's the birth narrative, how Jesus was born. But John doesn't start there. John actually goes way back into eternity past. John starts with, in the beginning, the Word already existed. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. He, he starts way back, like he reaches way back. But Mark, Mark's like, no, you guys can deal with all that. I'm going to start right when his ministry started. And you know this if you were here this uh, last summer, because we did an entire series through the book of Mark. And uh, you know that we told you Mark is like the gospel on steroids, like it's just plowing forward. It's just getting at the next thing. And then immediately after that, and immediately after that, and it's just amazing. I love the way that Mark starts because he just starts with Jesus' ministry. There was John the Baptist, and he baptized Jesus, and Jesus come up out of the water, and this amazing thing happened. And then he was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted, and he went through the temptations, and he comes back and starts his ministry. And the first words that we see from Jesus are in Mark chapter 1. This is after the, what we read about when he was 12. Now we fast forward to 18 years and we get the next statement from him. And he's starting his ministry. And in Mark chapter 1 verse 14, it says, Later on after John was arrested, Jesus went into Galilee where he preached God's good news. Here's his words. The time promised by God has come at last. Stop for just a minute. Do you know what that means? This is an amazing, phenomenal statement. It's so deep. He's saying, look, all the prophecies that you've read about, all the things that you've heard about, about the Messiah coming, they're fulfilled in me. It's happening right now. It's it's happening. Even the one we just read in Isaiah, it's happening right now. This is what he's saying. And then he goes on to say, "Uh, the time promised by God has come at last, he announced. The kingdom of God is near. What's the next word? Repent of your sins and what? Believe the good news. 
Repent of your sins and believe in the good news. Jesus, in his own words, as he begins his ministry, he gives us the keys to the house. He tells us exactly how we can come home. And what he says is repent and believe. Repent and believe. Jesus then goes throughout the whole countryside. He begins to teach and preach. He begins to heal people who are lame. He restores you know, hearing to the deaf. He restores people's sight who are blind. He casts out demons. He raises people from the dead. And that shouldn't surprise us. Because we're told, as we read through Scripture, that He is the Son of God. He is God with us. We should expect this from Him. It should surprise us if He's got it on earth, in flesh, if He didn't do those things. Why? Because what He's doing is He's proving who He is. He is showing that He is God. Mark chapter 2, as we turn the corner, we find out very quickly that He's not, he's not joking about this mission. Like he's all about repent and believe because the very next story is fascinating. There's, there's these guys, they have a friend who's paralyzed and they've hear, heard about Jesus or they've seen what he's doing and they're like, hey, I, I think we have somebody that can help you. So they put him on a mat and they get him to Jesus. But now things are going so well because he is healing and he's you know, casting out demons, all this. All these people are pressing in to hear his teaching to get a piece of this guy. And, and so he's in a house teaching, and so many people are gathered around that they can't get to him. So they do, you know, what any normal person would do. They just climb up on the roof and dig a hole and drop him down through the, the roof, right? And I say that kind of in a tongue-in-cheek way just because here's what happens. We read that story, and we just kind of glaze over it so often. I don't want us to do that. When you read Scripture, stop and pause and really, you know, put yourself in that place and think through it. That's a crazy scene to me. That these guys would have so much faith. They're like, if we can just get you to Jesus, you can be healed. We know it so much. We're going to tear this roof apart to get you in there. And they tear this roof off and they drop him down in front of Jesus. And, and, and it would be like today if we we're sitting here like this and somebody tore a hole in the roof and dropped somebody from University Hospital down here. You know, what are, what are you going to do with that, right? I know what I would do. I'd be like, um, is there a doctor in the house? Right? Because I can't do anything about that. But Jesus can. And he does. But it's interesting how he goes about doing it. This is why I bring this story up. Because they drop this guy down who obviously can't walk. He's paralyzed. And you know what Jesus says to him? This, this is what he says. Verse 5. Seeing their faith, Jesus said to the paralyzed man, My child, you're what? Sins are forgiven. Oh, time out. Is that why he was there? No. <laughs> it's obvious, right? I mean, he's having to be dropped in on a mat. That's not why he's there. But yet, Jesus says, because of your faith, because you believed, your sins are forgiven. It goes on. It says this. But some of the teachers of religious law who were sitting there thought to themselves, what is he saying? This is blasphemy. Look at this. Only God can forgive sins. And you know what? On that, they're right. Like for the first time, the religious leaders are actually right about something. But they're just not putting it together. Jesus knew immediately what they were thinking. So he asked them, why do you question this in your hearts? Is it easier to say to the paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or stand up, pick up your mat, and walk? What's the answer to this question? Is it easier to say your sins are forgiven, or, or pick up your mat? Yeah, your sins are forgiven. Why? Because how are we going to know, right? Hey, your sins are forgiven. Okay, thank you, right? 
But yet, with a paralyzed man to say, hey, pick up your mat and walk out, uh, if he doesn't get up and walk out, we got a problem, right? You're not who you say you are. And yet, Jesus is making a point. Only God can forgive sins. So he goes on to say this. So I will prove to you that the Son of Man has the authority on earth to forgive sins. Then Jesus turned to the paralyzed man and said, stand, stand up, pick up your mat, and go home. So that you'll know that I am who I say I am. I'll go ahead and do what you ask. Boom. Stand up, pick up your mat. I love this. And the man jumped up, grabbed his mat, and walked through the stunned onlookers. They were amazed and praised God, exclaiming, we've never seen anything like this before. Why? Because there's never been anybody like Jesus before. Because he is God in flesh. He is who he says he is. Question, why did Jesus do it that way? Why why did he say your sins are forgiven and then heal him? I, I think it's because Jesus is pointing out what every person's real need is. See, that guy thought his biggest need was the fact that he was paralyzed and he wanted to walk. And today, you might be thinking that your biggest need is something that paralyzed you. Maybe a broken marriage. Or maybe the situation in your family. Or or maybe some news that you've received. Or maybe you've lost somebody or you've lost a job and you think that's your greatest need. And I want you to know today that Jesus knows what those needs are. He's not ignoring them. Notice that Jesus didn't ignore his physical, emotional, and mental needs. He didn't do that. He healed him, right? He went ahead and healed him. The guy jumped up and walked out. He did. But I think in this moment, what Jesus is doing is he's prioritizing his spiritual need over everything else. Why? Because it's his spiritual need that will affect more than just his body. It'll affect his soul. It'll affect his relationship with Jesus. It'll affect his eternity. And Jesus is sharing with him what's most important. That's why he came. That's what Christmas is about. Because our biggest need is to have our sins forgiven, to be made right with God, to be able to come home. And so Jesus comes born in a manger. Jesus even told us about this in John chapter 6. He said, For I have come down from heaven to do the will of God who sent me, not do my own will. I've come down from heaven. I was born of a virgin, born in a manger. This is why I came, to do the will of the Father, to do God's will. Well, what is God's will? I'm glad you asked because he answered it. And this is the will of God, that I should not lose even one of all, all, don't forget that, all those he has given me but that I should raise them up at the last day. For it is my Father's will that all, again, who see his Son and believe, see his Son and believe, another key in him, should have eternal life. I will raise them up at the last day. He says it again. This is why I came. So that you would understand if you believe in me, you have the keys to come home, that you can do this. I'm going to pay for your sins. I'm going to take care of it on the cross. And I'm going to extend it to you. And all you have to do is just repent and believe. And you will be saved. And you'll have eternal life with me. Toward the end of his ministry, he also said this. He said, don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God and trust also in me. Trust, trust, trust. There is more than enough room in my father's home. If it were not so, would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? When everything is ready, I will come to get you so that you will always be with me where I am. And you know the way where I'm going. 
No, we don't know, Lord, Thomas said. We have no idea where you're going. So how can we know the way? Look at this. Jesus told him, I am the way, the truth, and life. No one can come to the Father except through me. Except through Jesus. Why? Because he was the Messiah. He was the Savior of the world. He came and he gave his life on the cross to pay for our sins. He, he rose from the grave so that we could have eternal life with him. He built a future home and he is the way for us to be able to come home. It's when we repent and believe in him that we're able to come home. Now, why is this so important? Here's why. Because I'm a sinner. Because you're a sinner. We don't like to say that, right? But let's be honest, we're sinners. And because we're sinners, we are in need of a savior. We can't save ourselves. It's because of Jesus that we're able to come home and nothing else. Now, unless you've done exactly what Jesus said, which was to repent and believe, because those are the keys to the house, unless you've done that, then you're still sitting in a very, very bad place. You're sitting in a place where somehow maybe you think that you're going to be justified because of what, a religious background? When you get in front of God at the end of days, he's not going to ask you what your grandmother believed. He's not going to ask you if you had faith just like your mom and dad. He's going to ask you, did you believe in me? Did you believe in me? You might be sitting there thinking, well, you know what? I've done some good deeds in my life, and I'm planning on doing better stuff as I get older. We've learned over the past few months that that doesn't cut it. It's not about what you do. It's about what Jesus did. He paid for your sins. All you have to do is repent and believe. Those are the keys to the house. The reason Jesus came, the reason that we celebrate Christmas is that Jesus came to be our Savior. He came to be the Savior for all people, every one of us. He came to provide a way for us to be, to be able to come home. Now, you've heard a lot about the things that were said about Jesus, and we just talked about some of the verses where um, Jesus spoke about himself, the words, by Jesus. But here's what I'm wondering this morning. I wonder if any of you have something to say to Jesus. Maybe you've never received Christ, and today's the day for you. It's time to, to repent and believe, to come home. Maybe for some of you, you received Christ many years ago, and maybe you've just let things kind of fizzle out. You haven't really been walking with Jesus for a long time. And it's time today to get serious about your faith, to say, no, I, I will make Christ the Lord of my life, and I'm going to center him, uh, I'm going to center everything around him in my life. What I want us to do today is I just want us to read a prayer. How do, how do we repent and believe? There's no special words. There, there's no order of words. There's nothing. We're not given anything like that in Scripture. Uh, the reason for that is because really this is between you and God. It's a, it's a heart posture. It's humbling ourselves before the Lord at repenting and just stating our belief in Him. And so what I've done is I've just written up on the screen a quick prayer. And I want us to all just to read it together. And for some of you, I pray that this is the first time for you, that you're, you're committing yourself. You're not just reading it, but you're declaring it, like what we talked about earlier. 
For some of you, maybe this is the moment where you decide to get serious about your faith, to step into this life that Christ has for you, to really put him in the rightful place in your life. So let's read this together out loud. Dear God, I know I'm not worthy to be accepted by you. I don't deserve your gift of eternal life. I'm guilty of rebelling against you and ignoring you. I need forgiveness. Thank you for sending your son, Jesus, to die for me that I may be forgiven. Thank you that you rose from the dead to give me new life. Please forgive me and change me so that I may come home and live with Jesus as my ruler and friend.